0: Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality.
1: Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you the listener clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware and Company, a full service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio. Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia, and Bradyware is sponsoring this podcast. This podcast is being recorded in Atlanta per social distancing protocols. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So today we're going to talk about the decision of entering into a a business partnership. And and, um, I, I feel I need to do a little bit of a preamble to this. Because uh, if if you've been listening to the show, or if if you uh, can count, you know that this is uh, episode number one hundred one that we are recording. So we just passed the century mark, and 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 we're very um, very pleased about that. And we're pleased that people um, choose to listen. There are lots of things you can do on the internet, and we're glad that you decided to make us one of those things. Um, but we are gonna we are gonna kind of change the the tenor of the show just a little bit. Now we're not going to go away from talking about individual business business decisions. That's why we do this and frankly, I can't think of anything interesting that I could talk about uh with others or with you for a 45 minute period. But we are going to do something a little bit different because we are always always looking to um to improve, of course. And and that is, you know, most of our guests up to this point have been expert advisors. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. I consider myself an advisor. Some of my best friends are expert advisors. Um, our guests are, in fact, expert advisors. Although they're not coming on the show today necessarily in that capacity, but I do think there's I do think there's a there's a there's value to having a conversation, not just with an expert about a particular decision, but somebody who's actually done it, somebody who's actually had to pull the trigger, do the analysis, or not. And and live with the results, whatever they may be, positive or or negative, because I think that's just a different perspective. And and so th- that's that's going to mean two things. In addition to the fact that that the nature of our guests will change, and we're still going to we're still going to have experts on. Don't don't worry about that. Um, but also, we're going to. I'm not going to be afraid necessarily to repeat a topic because. If I think that somebody has a a different take on a topic and everybody comes into a decision with a different background and a different bias and a different, frankly, different set of priorities and circumstances, you can have, I think, a constructive interview or conversation multiple times about the same topic and learn something different. So if if you... You know, if you come on, you start to see these episodes download into your phone or your computer or you look on our website and you see repeats, don't worry. We haven't all of a sudden become a skipping record, uh, but simply that we're changing the tenor of the show that we're just not going to be afraid to go back and and look at the same topic from a different angle. Because and as you know, you, we can't cover everything that we would like to in a 45 minute you know, period. There are times when we could have easily had a three hour conversation. So I hope you'll agree with that. I think that's going to be a, a, an improvement to the show. Finally, a bit of housekeeping. You know, I, I would like we looked at our our numbers today. Really, I looked at them for the first time in a long time. And you know, in addition to a hundred, a uh, hundred now one hundred and one shows, I learned that we have now exceeded fifteen million downloads, um, and and we're getting into twenty five to thirty thousand downloads. In the first 30 days territory, which puts us in the top two percent of all podcasts, and I just want to take a moment to acknowledge everybody that has made that possible. I'm 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 the front man, the ugliest one we could possibly find, but you know between you know Bradyware's support of the show, and I've mentioned this before, they've given me a blank check. They don't tell me what to say or not to say. They don't tell me what to talk about and not to talk about. And I've been critical of my firm on occasion on the show. Um, and it's to their credit that they allow me to do that. Maybe it means they haven't listened, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna take the sunny side of the equation. You know, our, our marketing department has done a great job with this. Our 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 business partner, Business Radio X, you know, has helped get this show exposure that it could not have obtained organically. And uh, you know, our guests that have devoted their time to being on on this show. You know, me speaking into a microphone that's bad radio, even by internet standards. And so, having guests that are willing to come on and take time out of their busy day to be on the show, you know there is there is no show without them. So, as you can tell, this is a massive team effort. And then finally, you, the listeners, the listeners that have that that have you know tuned in and have have commented, have left reviews and helped this show get out to help other people. Uh, again, speaking into a mic, if there's no listeners, I may have just as well speak into this microphone with it turned off. And uh, that's that's not really uh, that's not really my jam. So I just wanted to to acknowledge that the show's come a long way in under two years. And, um, you know, we we hope for even better and uh, more powerful things in in the year ahead. All right. Stump stump speech over. Today, we're going to talk about this decision about entering in a business partnership with uh, two longtime friends, uh, Kenji Kuramoto who is chief executive officer and Matthew May who is vice president and sales of, uh, of and marketing of acuity which is an atlanta based firm that provides a wide array of accounting related support services and they'll probably correct me in how i'm describing it but that's the way that i described it and you know i've known them for i've known them for before they're in this partnership and they've been in this, in this partnership for a bit now and uh, they Just as one person's observer, you know, they, I think they are the fastest growing accounting services firm, certainly from an organic standpoint in the Atlanta market. There may be a couple of others that have exceeded them because they've gone on a massive acquisition spree. But uh, in terms of organic, I mean, these guys, these guys are just killing it. Um, You see them on social media, it's all smiles. They don't look like accountants. Uh, They almost make me want to be an accountant, except I'm a lousy accountant myself. But I, I what I want to do is I want to find out about these guys and what makes their partnership tick. It seems to work so well, but we'll find that out. Maybe there's dirty laundry that's gonna be aired right on the show. Kenji and Matthew, thank you for coming onto the program.
2: Happy to be here, Mike. Thanks for having us, man.
1: So I, I'd like you guys to talk about your origin stories. I'm gonna I'm gonna just in, invoke my inner nerd here. You know, before you became partners at Acuity, how what were the tracks that kind of led you up to that point? Kenji, let's start with you. Sure. So coming out of college with an accounting degree, you know,
2: I did what I thought everyone was supposed to do, right? You go work in big global public accounting. So my first stop was in the Atlanta office of Arthur Anderson, you know, that firm that people used to know about. That I remember them. Cr- crazy things happened to I was in their audit practice uh, for about four, almost five years. Um, got out before that crazy Enron thing or whatever happened. Um, But it was during the dot-com kind of, the the initial kind of takeoff back around 2000. So I jumped over to a technology services company who I thought was going public because that's what everybody did back then was go public. And absolutely. I went over over as their controller, uh, ultimately became their CFO after the bubble burst. Um, And so it was a young CFO for about, three, four years at a technology company in Atlanta called Intellinet, And that's actually after IntelliNet got together with actually another former business partner. So I'm sure we'll talk about that later to start Acuity. And that was around 04 and ran that up for a number of years, bought out my other partner, ran it by myself for a little while, which is an interesting period, and quickly got Matthew to come join up with Acuity.
1: All right, so let's let's put a pin in that, and now we'll we'll uh, we'll do a a screen wipe here. Matthew, what about what about your origin story? What radioactive insect bit you to become the man you are today? Well, first, I'm a lot younger than Kenji. Let's just get that out of out of <laughs> the
0: Everybody thinks Kenji's younger than me, but I am a lot younger than Kenji. Like, I, I didn't want to have
1: to be the person to say it.
0: It's like a year and three months. I mean, I think he's older than me. Like, he's like not just. It's like because this is how we bicker. It's not. He's not a year older than me. He's not two. It's a year and three months. You know, I'm like that's. <laughs> but um, I I had, so, so I went to Baylor University. Was an accountant. Yeah, accounting grad. Uh, did the same thing. I went to uh, Big Six right out of uh, college. Uh, I did do a little more kicking around Big Six than Kenji did. I I, I switched firms um, uh, once. Uh, did a startup in '99 uh, where I was the controller. I was like the eleventh hire. Uh, we ended up selling that right before the bubble burst for cash instead of stock, which was really smart. Uh, you know, that was the days when a million-dollar revenue company could sell for $100 million, which was kind of crazy. Um, went on to uh, – I worked for the Fortune 500 company that, that bought us. It was like the 15th largest company in the in the world or something at the time. I think it was Fortune – we called it Fortune 15. Uh, learned about kind of working in a big environment in a shared service center I actually came back to public accounting. Then when I moved to Atlanta, I switched from, uh, Ernst & Young where I'd been almost 10 years to, uh, Cherry Becker where I made partner. And then I decided to become a recovering auditor, uh, which I really uh, am fans of recovering auditors out there. I, I sympathize with you. So we're, we're a large and growing group. Uh, and, uh, you know, what was seven or eight years ago, um, joined up with Kenji, bought half of Acuity from him and, uh, the rest, as they say, is history.
1: So, so Matthew, you, you brought up something I've I've always wanted to talk to, to ask you about. And um, finally, I get the chance. And, and that is, I mean, the decision, you, you you accomplished what what many in public accounting spend their entire lives trying to accomplish which is, is to make partner in a significant firm, right? And although Cherry Beckard is not a big four, it is a significant, I don't mm-hmm. know what size rank it is, but it's bigger than my firm.
0: It's number twenty five. It's okay. a it's a it's a it our top twenty-five at the time. I think it's somewhere between twenty and twenty-five today. So, so yeah, that's it's not a, a big it's a big firm with smart people that challenged me that were great. It was a it was a wonderful experience to be able to to do that. That was a great achievement. Yeah.
1: So so you to. so you do that, right? And and I mean when you when you reach partner, you and having done it myself, I mean you you Uh, I think many people feel like you're sort of at the top of the steps of the Philadelphia museum and Rocky, right? You sort of put your hands up and there's music going on in the background. You feel, you know, this is, that's the top of the profession, unless you get to managing partner, et cetera, you do that. And then really not that in my mind, not that long afterwards, you say, eh, I'm going to go do, I'm going to go hang with Kenji and do what he's doing. How did you, what, what was in your mind that said, once you kind of accomplish that thing, you're like, you're just going to do something else.
0: Well, it's kind of like the analogy I give when uh, my, our tech clients like raise money, right? Like it's not the destination. So making partner is not the destination in accounting. Although in your early years, your first ten years of your career, fifteen years of your career, that's all you go for. If you split your career up, and when I reflected on it, it was like that was like the Basically saying, now I have to make the decision. Do I want this to be my career for the next 20 years, right? So this is kind of like when you raise money in a tech firm, right? Raising money is not the thing. It's then what you do with that money is, is like how you're judged and things like that. And uh, I did some reflection, and we're going to get into the story a little bit, when, when, when this opportunity came up. And uh, I did some, what do I want the next 20 years to look out, and uh, went this way instead of uh, sticking with it.
1: And and I want I promise we'll get to the actual topic, but I I I do got to ask sort of a follow up is that in in my view being partner now is not the same as it was twenty five years ago, right? I, my father was a partner inerson Young in the Boston office, and he was there forever until Sarbanes Oxley basically killed his business overnight. Um, but you know I think I th- I think in our generation, and I, I I'm older than I'm older than Kenji, so maybe I'm painting with a too broader brush, but bear with me. I think in our generation, just becoming a partner at a CPA firm is just different. I'm not going to say it's better or worse, but I I think the experience itself is different. Would you agree with that?
0: I would agree with that. Um, But I think there's just part of it. There's a little bit of mystique to it as well. That once you get there, you realize, Oh, like, do I want this to be my career? Or was I just a type A guy? And like, have been told all my life, you need to make partner, right? Right. I, I left public and came back so I couldn't make partner. I like, I left for four years. <laughs> yeah.
1: So. Yeah. So, so you, you have these two tracks. Interestingly, both of you came in from partnerships in one way or another. So you, I didn't think of that till just now, but you, 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 one way or another, you decided that another partnership was a, was a good thing. Um, so talk about the story. How did you become business partners? Who asked who out first? Who said, I like you first. How did that all sort of work out?
2: I'll, I'll, I'll tell this one. I love telling <laughs> this one. Um, it, it's in the, it's a distinct possibility, Mike, that you may have been almost in the room or very close by when this was happening because this actually occurred at, um, we, we used to host this acuity friends and clients kind of party at the end of every year. Actually, we'd wait till January.
1: Um, I've been to one of after those. after the holidays.
2: Yes. So, that,
1: those, are, those are a mad joint, man. I've been to one of those.
2: That's right. And so the funny thing was, <laughs> because all of our friends, we say friends and clients, uh, all of our friends are other accountants. Honestly, you'd look around the room, and it was just a whole bunch of our other fellow accountants who were friends there that were referral partners and such. And we always have it at uh, a local watering hole in Atlanta, uh, Taco Mac from back in the day—they'd let us use that. They were a client, and honestly, we just we get after a whole bunch of beer and hang with a bunch of our friends. And so, in um, at one of those events, Matthew, of course, was there. Uh, again, Mike—he probably, you may have probably been in the room somewhere. And he and I, um, after a, quite a, maybe a few beverages, started started talking about it more. And I had I had already at this point bought out my former business partner and Matthew and I'd been friends we'd, we'd had Falcons tickets together and so it was certainly good to see him but we stepped outside you know in kind of this January in Atlanta out of this kind of little speakeasy of a bar kind of area and you know I'm trying to clear my head a little bit but uh it said listen this is hard this is hard going alone man this is tough stuff and Matthew was always interested in what we were doing over at acuity he's kind of inquiring and just like you had pointed out earlier with him grabbing that kind of partnership brass ring, you know, I'm thinking, oh, he's found the lifelong career piece, but I'm kind of in his ear a bit like, ah, turn away from that. Like, I could really use you over here at Acuity. And I always remember, do you remember what you said, Matthew, when I I was like joking, like you should come work with me, what you said? I I
0: probably said, don't joke around about stuff.
2: Don't joke around. He said, don't (laughs) joke about that. And I thought, wait a minute, is this guy actually like, come on he's not really <laughs> considering this he's a partner at a great firm but that's that's actually how it started outside after many beers at um one of our annual events just kind of talking about the, uh, the you know where-
0: was he was drunk like, I was, just, I, was like <laughs> I was actually leaving to go home early and he was already in so when he was walking me out like he i thought he was just being nice and walking out and shooting the shit as we
1: went out but uh Oh, yeah, he, he was walking he, you home, basically. He did. He, he,
2: I think he even had his arm around me. I made so. my move right there. I knew when, I knew when he was vulnerable.
1: So, is the key <laughs> to initiating a partnership? Is is there should be alcohol involved? Is that a is that a learning point from this conversation for at least, for at least one of the people? <laughs> his yeah. Well, so, I, I will say, I that, I mean, say you do have to ask. It's, so,
2: it's stayed a recurring theme to our partnership. We certainly <laughs> um, we, we certainly enjoy that time together have having, having a beer for you. So,
1: well, and you know, that, that part, that part I think is important. I'll all joking aside, you know, especially at the outset, I think you may have added a partner since then. I'm not sure, but, but at the outset, if it's just the two of you guys, you know, you, you better enjoy spending time together because you're going to be doing it a lot. That
2: is Definitely. for
1: sure. Yeah, for sure. So, um, So I'm guessing that then, because of the, I mean, well, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna guess anything. I'll let you answer the damn question. After you guys had decided that okay, a partnership was a possibility, something possibly, you know, something potentially desirable. What were the steps after that? I mean, it's it's one thing to have, and I can speak from experience. It's one thing to have Falcons tickets with somebody. It's another thing to make them your business partner and place your livelihood in their hands. Right. And so was there any kind of vetting process, feeling out process, anything that happened after that that one initial date? Or did you rush right to Vegas and and go to the chapel?
0: Wow. Um, So, yeah, we had some interesting discussions. Um, So we used the same attorney uh, to draft the documents. Um, We did it in relatively short order as far as the the the. The fielding points i did take you know after we kind of had this kind of mapped out i did go back to cherry beckert and, and talk about uh, what my long-term thing looks like there so i could like make a decision and figure out what was pointless so that took probably 30 days and then i ended up having a 90-day uh stick to my contract where i was uh, uh, my partnership agreement required me to stay 90 more days after that but um uh we had some great discussions but uh, i think we got the Like I'm done, like the bigger points done in about an hour and a half, probably at a Mexican food restaurant. About a week later, um, exactly to what to what what ends up there. But uh, we had some funny discussions in there. Something some things that would probably probably say a lot to us. Like I initially wanted the deal to be forty nine five to fifty point five or forty nine fifty one, and Kidji was adamantly opposed to that. I I mean, I was going to take the minority. Uh, and Kenji was adamantly opposed to that because in his previous partnership, um, they had been not 50-50. Um, so we were negotiating into each other backwards. It was weird. Um, so it was kind of some odd um, discussions. That was the oddest one for me. Well, I was like, oh, you yeah, know, I think I need to have 49%. And you're like, nope,
1: not doing that. So, so Kenji, why why was that important to you? And and I'm, I'm really interested to drill down on this because there's a lot of common wisdom out there that says that a 50-50 partnership is a bad idea. In fact, I'm uh, I make a lot of money helping 50-50 partnerships unwind, unfortunately. Um, hopefully that will never be the case with you guys, but why did you want to do that?
2: Like Matthew mentioned, part of that had been from previous experience. I, I had bought out a partner, um, a previous partner, who he was the majority and I was the minority partner. And and that ended very amicably. Um, that partner is still a friend of mine today. He's a huge supporter and you know cheerleader for acuity. Um, but while we were that was always something that was challenging for me as a minority partner of just feeling like we were imbalanced. And and even he and my previous partner realized that too. It felt like it was difficult to kind of As time progressed, we felt like that should have evened out a bit more, but just some of the mechanics of equity made that challenging. And so I had that experience of not feeling equal, even though we tried our best to operate that way. And we we did a pretty good job of operating as equals. That said, I knew kind of in my heart of hearts coming into this the next time around that um, I wanted to make sure this was, we were equally kind of hitched up and yoked on this one. Like it just... Um, wanted that all of our decisions that you could never kind of look at one another and go, well, of course you like it this way because that benefits you. And so um, that was after, you know, I guess, gosh, eight, nine years. So I had a little bit of experience under my belt, had a short window of time, about a year of doing it solo, which I thought was going to be fantastic. And I ended up coming away from that going, that's terrible. I hate it. It was awful. <laughs> I mean, it, it was, the, the business was just on a, Downhill trajectory, which is probably why I was out drunk begging Matthew, please help me. Everyone thinks this is going great. I'm struggling here. So I knew I needed a partner and I needed a partner, you know, one that I just could feel completely vulnerable with. And likewise, he should too. And I think having that aligned equity, like perfectly aligned equity, was at least one way to make sure we didn't get on different pages.
1: So let me follow up with that. What is it that, that you felt that you were missing at the time? that Matthew was the solution to. So it was interesting because
2: being such good friends and actually Matthew and I were really strong referral partners. That was another thing we actually talked about Mm. was, wait a minute, are we better together or apart? Because we do a lot to help each other as referral partners in each other's firms. And and we got over that and realized we think we're better. um, We think we're better together, but When I bought out my previous partner, I had a number of ideas that I wanted to kind of get rolling that I thought could be be beneficial for the startup business community and entrepreneurs and for us as a firm. And had some good foresight on that, got some of those going, but essentially created another line of business that operated very different from the traditional CFO services that we were providing. And I just failed to take into account that we're kind of running almost two different business models and businesses just doubled kind of the workload. I'm still trying a little bit to manage. Should I be out there billing myself as the owner doing all those things of should I be working on the business? And all those are kind of happening at once realizing that I need some help. I had tried empowering a couple of our other more senior employees to say, Hey, maybe I can get them to help share some of this management strategy kind of leadership load. And it didn't work. And so I realized that, like, okay, this may be a good idea of this new directional line of business we're going in. I don't think I can get it off the ground. There's just not enough hours to the day for me to pour into it to try to keep the other lines of business going, to keep cash flow and the firm going enough. so it it was um needed someone who else who saw the vision, and this is something Matthew and I talked about what we were building and believed in it. It just had the energy and some of that, um, not just an employee's vision of like, Hey, that sounds good. If you pay me a salary, I'll do it. Was a, no, I'm a believer. I'm willing to stake um, some of my reputation and, you know, some equity in this thing to go forward. And so that's where I, I knew I needed, I needed help there. And, and Matthew was, Matthew was the perfect one to bring in to do that.
1: So, so Matthew, on, on, on your side, you know, what was it that, what was it that, that, Made you so attractive to this particular partnership because a guy as capable as you, with your pedigree, you could have done a lot of things, right? You should. You could have flown a lot of airlines, but you chose to fly Acuity, and Kenji. What? Why did you? What made that attractive to you?
2: Um, The well,
0: and the sad reality of being a partner at a bigger firm is that you have to deal with you know bigger clients. And I, I've always had that passion for the smaller clients, the million dollar revenue clients, not the hundred million dollar clients, the hundred million revenue clients. You come in and do their audit, like it's a check the box thing and you're not really adding any value. Or, and, I, and I felt like, like I've always enjoyed just getting in the ecosystem, you know, being in a lot of businesses, helping out a bunch and, you know, helping five or six hundred million dollar clients versus how could we help a hundred startups, you know, you know, like do things better just gotten my juices flowing. And then when kind of the other things kind of, I did a bunch of checklist stuff and um, about the pros and cons of getting with this joker. But uh, the, the, one of the, the, the couple of things that I, and my dad's an entrepreneur. So I talked to him a lot about his, he had two failed partnerships. Uh, so I assumed he was going to be like really anti-partnership, uh, but it, it it started a bunch of great conversations with him about how lonely he had been. Uh, and then he that's why he kept trying to do the partnerships, even though two of them failed, was it's just a lonely place to be if you try to do it by yourself. So I could have tried to do something by myself, but then I would have been in that same spot with my dad where it was real lonely. Um, and then uh, a couple of things aligned really well with Kenji. And the, the oddest one, I think, that I keep always pointing back to is our kids are the same age. So I knew that we were going to, be able to invest in the company at the same time and need cash from the company at the same time. And I think a lot of people underestimate kind of those kind of things. So I knew I had seven years before my kid goes to college that, that we could invest in the business and grow it as big as we could. And then we would need some cash flow so we could go, so uh, we could send the kids to college. So we had a bunch of things like that lining up outside of our like kind of mutual interests. And then the biggest negative is I was like, well, you're, one of my best friends I'm probably losing my best friend at this point, you know, cause you're like, you kind of more like, I would I would put us more like very sibling like now <laughs> versus friend like, and that was kind of a negative uh, to me at the time was like losing that kind of one of those friendships, which are hard to come by. Right.
1: They are. Um, so you said a couple of things I, w- I want, I want to pause on cause I, I, um, I think they're so, insightful and underrated that loneliness thing you know i've been a sole practitioner um, and um, the loneliness of being in business for yourself is is underrated and if you're a social person i'm not i'm an excessive introvert you can you can bury me in the ground in a missile silo for six years i'll be fine but i'm weird my wife on the other hand has had a number of businesses and without fail, the times when she has been happiest and most successful was when she simply had a business partner, somebody to shoulder the load, that could shoulder the emotional toll that being a business owner takes on you. And it, it does, even if you're successful, it does. And and the fact that you bring that up, I think is a really important point to bring up to anybody listening to this podcast, thinking about a partnership is that that social, there's such a big difference. Even if you only have one business partner, there's such a big difference in the dynamics and the emotional support you get for running a business, having the, if it's the right business partner. Right. And it seems like that's been, I see Kenji nodding. So it sounds like you find that to be the case as well. That was my experience. Not, not
2: as long as Matthew's dad, who was the entrepreneur for much longer than I was by himself. But that year that I was out, you know, getting to run the business the way I wanted to, which was both, which was exciting. I failed to, Recognize that aspect of loneliness. And I am an extrovert. I like kind of being out and about. And I've learned, especially as I've kind of matured, that I operate better with a partner. I operate better in a group, in community. And I saw it firsthand for that year of where, gosh, I'm at one of the most exciting points of I own my own business and I'm getting pats on the back from everybody and I've got new things launching. But it was incredibly frustrating and lonely. And, um, you know, even I tried to empower some employees to kind of help offset that it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And so I do think it's incredibly underestimated. So knowing yourself a bit, what you like, right? Are you going to be kind of missile silo Mike or are you going to need to kind of be a little bit more of of someone who you need someone. It just there's probably other aspects of your life you can look at and say, "Well, where have I gotten better productivity or achievement out of it? Has it been like when I've gone into that silo or is it when like I just had to get around other people who are helping push me. And that may help you get some thought process and direction around the partnership
1: you know, concept. And, 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 you know, there's another, there's another kind of lesson point there, too. And something I tell my clients is that, you know, you can try to get your employees to behave like owners all you want. But unless they're owners, they, it, you just ain't going to get there.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it's it's very rare. We've tried it a few times. We we have one exception to that today. I mean, yep. Kathy and I don't have any other partners, but we do. Our CLO, Lisa, we absolutely refer to as a partner. And I think at this point, we, we, we just probably haven't wanted to burden her with some of the aspects that some people don't think about coming yep. with equity. But you know, she's been one exception of of again the vast minority of people that really help us think about the business, we consider her and call her a partner. But by and large, it's not a it's not a direction that I've seen most of our yeah. employees step up to.
1: Probably the the exception that proves the rule, as much as anything else.
2: Absolutely, yeah,
1: absolutely. And, and the other part, you know, Matthew, you brought up that I think don't gets does not gets talked get talked about enough as partnerships are formed, is the priority to take out cash. And boy, does that come up? people you know you if you walk into a partnership assuming that your cash needs or desires are the same as the other partners and then they aren't, that is just a killer. So you know, whether you said that explicitly or again, I think, I think taking the cues from the fact you're at a similar life stage and probably similar kind of financial position, if you will, but understanding disposition of, of cash and profits, boy, that's really important to get on the table early because if you have one person that just wants to leave it in because maybe they can, but another person that needs to draw because otherwise you're on food stamps, um, boy, don't assume that, right? That was probably
0: the hardest part of our partnership. um, Hmm. Where we were most disaligned was while I was paying off the debt of buying the company. Like We had fundamentally different cash flow for the first four or five years of the company. Right. Because most of my cash flow, almost all my free cash flow is going to debt service and and Kenji's is going to whatever Kenji wants to do. You know,
1: (laughs) that's Hopkins tickets for some reason. Hopkins
0: tickets. That's right. That's that that is a big that was the biggest disalignment that we ever had in our partnership was that first several years. Um,
2: And and it was it was the it was the number one thing with my previous partner As, as close as he and I were, as amicable as it was. There was just an age difference, right? He was older than I was. He had kids. They were heading off. They were just like Matthew mentioned. They were, you know, seven years ago. They were heading off to college. My kids were still in middle school, elementary school, and so he needed a different cash situation, which causes you to make different decisions about the the business and how you invest in it. And so that was probably the number one reason why he said, "Hey, I'm going to go take another." go do something else is because just, we were at different stages of life personally and had those different needs. So it's an incredibly important aspect to consider before getting into a
1: partnership with someone. And, and this touches upon an important thing too. You know, Matthew, you, you, you weren't, you weren't just given shares, right? And a lot of people don't, if you're on the outside of the accounting and legal world, right? You're not given shares because they'd be taxable. If you do, you normally buy in and the company lends you money to, to buy into the company basically. And it sounds like that, that happened here as well. Um, And, and, and interestingly, you know, you, you did because of the debt service, you did have a bit of a cash disconnect. Did that ever become a source of friction? And if so, how did you work through it?
0: It was hard. I, I worked through it, getting a home equity line of credit. I didn't bother camping with it, but okay. uh, uh, <laughs> no, if
1: I think that, that's an answer.
0: No, i and I do encourage every business owner to, before you get off W-2s to get a home equity line of credit for the max value that you possibly can, because once you start drawing on that home equity line of credit, you know, you gotta make some big changes in your business, uh, to make cash flow different changes. But, um, I don't, I, I never, I, I never, I don't, I don't know if I did. Maybe I'm cost stress for you, but.
2: Well, I think that one of the ways that we offset that, um, I think it does, It for me, it does cause stress, right? Because again, I had a proclivity from day one to have just this very clear, perfect alignment, right? Because then, then every issue that we're approaching, we're coming from a common framework and a common place. So it did stress me out. It stressed me out that Matthew had that. But one thing I think what we did to mitigate that was we were just very open. Like we, we, we know each other's everything about each other. We know each other's personal financials. We talk about, I mean, we don't just, Hey, how much are you drawing out this month? It is a, we know each other's mortgages. We know what our investments look like together. It's just, I know it's a little unusual, but for us, having transparency and understanding of the situation that each other was in i mean it just allows for like oh man is it you know if if one of us needs something we can help each other out we got into that whole this whole thing to help each other out so we didn't i know he and i don't want each other to be in a place where you know one of us needs help and the other doesn't know about that that would be the most ridiculous aspect of the partnership or the friendship is like gosh you just don't step up and say something so we've always been really good about just Yep. Here you, here you go. You want to see the personal financials? Boom. Here they are. so
1: And and I think that, I think another learning element from that is perhaps a, a driver of the success that you guys have enjoyed with acuity is your ability and willingness to be vulnerable with one another. Right. I mean, really opening the kimono like that, that that's important to building relationships and trust, and I think a lot of partnerships do fall apart because there isn't that level of trust and there isn't that level of vulnerability. and you you know, like in a marriage, um, if you don't have that, then all of a sudden you find yourself one day you think your marriage is great, the next day you're hit with divorce papers because one of your partners was just simmering for 20 years, basically. Yeah, right? Right. and it sounds like you've taken great, you've you've taken intentional steps to avoid that.
2: We have. I think we've been very focused on being vulnerable uh, and trusting each other. I will say that, however, we've been really lucky, and I mean that luck in that we realized there was just some unique things mm-hmm. about both he and I and our situations that I also felt like we have to take advantage of. For the example of. You heard both of us started, you know, we have this very eerie similarities in so many parts of our life. Matthew mentioned our oldest kids being the same, having kids being the same age, boy and a girl, one of each, same age. We both married our college sweethearts. We both worked at went to Arthur Anderson right out of, right out of college. Um, worked in the same exact job in different offices. We're both the old, you know, we're both the oldest of three boys in our households. We're still we have all these very Interesting similarities. I was just at Matthew's house this morning because we get together on Tuesdays into our partner meeting, and you know we find out that just—I mean, this is a silly kind of a silly one—but it does feel like this happens all the time with he and I. Both of our refrigerators broke down the last couple weeks, and I'm like, "Oh, you got a new refrigerator?" I'm like, "That's the exact same one that I have too." Like we didn't talk about that. Like that—that that seems weird. And then we find out that his 18-year-old son, you know, starts his first. Job today at a restaurant, and my 18 year old started his first job yesterday. And so it's just we have all these interesting similarities. And I think that's very fortunate and lucky. But I think that's you take advantage of that and go, gosh, this is just too, I don't know whether you want to call it Kismet or anything else, but like that's really special and and awesome. So why not take advantage of that? Because it's showing us how there's some already good alignment there just in the way that life has kind of unfolded for us. Maybe that means we need to kind of be doing more together as business partners.
1: Well, I've I've heard, and I don't I've never I haven't looked this up to see if it's medically true, but I've heard that when when women spend enough time with each other, that their monthly cycles will synchronize. But I've never heard <laughs> about I've never heard about business people that have refrigerators synchronized if they work together yeah. long enough. So, like that, it's amazing. Some somebody's going to do a dissertation on that. I promise you now, <laughs> somebody's going to take this. They're going to do a PhD on that. Um, so let me switch gears here for a little bit um, because I want to take advantage of the fact that you guys work with so many clients and have over the years. Um, and I'm sure many of those have been partnerships as well. Is that fair? Right. And mm-hmm. you've seen some of them succeed. You've seen some of them not succeed. <laughs> and I love each of you to offer a couple of observations in terms of what's made other partnerships successful broadly and what has made other partnerships unsuccessful. That might be cautionary tales, for somebody listening on the program,
0: well, I, I think um, alignment is is really key uh, when you're when you're having that. And I, when I think about alignment, I, I often think about uh, what people have to contribute uh, to earn their equity in the company. And uh, I see a lot of startups, in particular, make the mistake of just saying, "Hey, you own a third, you own a third, you own a third. and then ten months later, one of the founders goes off and owns a third of the company. Um, so from, uh, I, I, I like places where you have to actually buy in, or if you don't buy in, there's some portion of time that has to elapse for you to earn what, what your determined contribution is. But that, that's a, that's a big red flag to me when I see companies that just, even though it started as a napkin, I still like to see you have to earn kind of your ownership somehow or buy your ownership somehow.
1: So skin in the game, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, when you give things away for free, people tend to devalue them. I know that as a service provider, right? When we give away free services, nobody cares. But if we give service away for $10, you know, like, they'll be like, I had to write a check for $10. (laughs) You know, they they respond to your emails and things like that. It's the same thing with equity. Like, you got to be careful.
2: Kenji? I agree. I I think it's... um the Matthew started with the, down this path as well too about you know kind of your values. It, it's every time I see a partnership work well, there tend to be very aligned values of the owners involved. So there's really smart ways that he mentioned to mechanically build some components in of equity. You know, it, it's got to start from a sense of values, and it doesn't mean that you have to be exactly the same or buy the same refrigerators necessarily. Yeah. Um, there are plenty of differences that Matthew and I have, but when it comes to values, whether it's us or other successful um, partnerships I've seen, all of them have been very consistent, where the partners share very much the same values and beliefs and desires for what they want out of that business. And the ones that get put together really, really quickly or treat equity as being some cheap, easy, free thing that you just got to have a lawyer paper up, those are the ones that tend to be the problematic ones.
1: Well, that's that, that's interesting, and and that's really sort of an interesting tale too, because I, I know you do a lot of work with tech companies as as well as I do. You know, there there is a there can sometimes be a tendency to treat stock certificates like you're pulling them off of a you know a roll of paper towels, basically. <laughs> and and you know, one of the worst things you can have in any team, whether it's a partnership or not, is a set. Of, I guess is a sense of entitlement.
2: Absolutely, and, and I think that. From an accounting perspective, we'll take it there since that's I know a lot of maybe who listens to this show or been part of it. I was also very much shaped by looking at cap tables. And I've had so many clients over the years, you look at these cap tables and they're just you're like, How in the world did this happen? You're looking at this thing and, and we're trying to write crazy formulas and, and tabs and things that well before there was such thing as kind of equity software just to keep track of like, what is happening? I get there's been multiple rounds of funding, but what are all these people doing on the cap table? And ultimately those are always problematic. And I think Matthew and I have talked a lot about this. Others who've been successful in their partnerships have talked about how much they honor and respect equity. Like, wow, the cleanliness of our cap table, the simpleness of our cap table is something that like, when I hear people talk in those terms, those are people that have taken great care in how they Distribute the equity um, and, and how they manage it, and I've seen the opposite side again when it's any kind of spreadsheet that's got you know the cap table on huge crazy spreadsheet. You're, those are those are the problematic ones.
1: That's really interesting. i I to let that sink in and think about that. I think that's a really interesting observation. So, in, in your partnership, I would characterize the two of you as I guess having complementary skill sets but fairly compatible personalities. Is that a fair, is that a fair characterization? I, I think so. Or not. Are you, are you, are, are not, are, are you different? What are you, I can tell one of you is about to leap through the internet saying, I'm a complex <laughs> human being. What are you talking about?
2: <laughs> we're, we're in fact, we're, we're very different in many ways, but like I mentioned, our, our values are, are super aligned, which is, which is the basis of it. But from, um, we are very complimentary. There's some things that each other does that, you know, helps the other person. Like for me, for example, Matthew, in the way that he analytically thinks about deals or, uh, does some very strategic and very complex thinking. I mean, very nonlinear, like out there thinking is just mind blowing. It's very frustrating at times too, but it's just, uh, it's just something that I don't, have the capacity for, I've got to have this very concrete, linear process to my thinking. Um, I have to kind of see the data. Matthew has just a, a very interesting abstract mind. That again, lots of times it drives me nuts, but um, it fills a huge gap for us, especially when we're in, you know, situations we just did, you know, did an acquisition, our first acquisition of another firm And really, Matthew was the real architect of that. Like he really, from a deal structure standpoint, is excellent at that and enjoys doing that. Whereas me, that's a little—that's kind of stressful. Like it's just, oh, that doesn't feel quite right, and I kind of muddle my way through it and I second guess myself. Whereas I think Matthew sees deals and and complexity and kind of salivates. Like, yes, let me get after this thing. Is that is that fair? Oh, you're asking me now. Uh, I usually tell I, you, but no, I'm being nice I, with my kids. I mean, and then if you flip that around and
0: you say, you know, but um, so we have a hundred people now. Um, so, I mean, back in the day when we had eight or nine, it was not the same, right? Um, but we have a hundred people now and, and Kenji's the one that's predisposed to like, hey, yeah, we've got to have like constant messaging. And he's doing the async videos where he's getting our team updates every single week you know, and that cadence and things like that. And that's not something that, that I have the strength for. And like the, the I, I believe in community building. I believe in investing in our team, but he's got the DNA that where it's like built in, right? Where he's going to like do that stuff for our people. Uh, I think it was really funny. We did um, our, our teams. We all did personality profiles and um, it, it ended up in one of those ones with, you know, you could be in one in four quadrants we knew Kenji and I were going to be in opposite quadrants, but similar quadrants, but the top four people at our firm were all in different quadrants, mm. uh, which was crazy. So our COO was more of the, the like metho- the methodology person that would take ideas and put them into action and things like that. And then we had, you know, our, our head of bookkeeping was our, the compliance minded person. And we're, I forget what we were. We were the crazy ones. We always are, but, um, but, uh, um, it was weird. I, I expected that he and I, but we had also unintentionally surrounded ourselves with people that also complimented ourselves. Which I think, as partners, you've got to be really okay in your own skin and acknowledging that somebody can do things better than you. Because um, there's lots of times when you got to set your ego aside, and it's just those are if you have a big ego like me, like th- those are tough days. You know, those are
1: tough, tough times. You know, so we're talking with Kenji Kuramoto and Matthew May of Acuity, and we're talking about entering into a business partnership on the Decision Vision podcast. Um, we're running out of time, but a couple of questions I want to make sure we at least try to get to before we let you guys skedaddle and go back to helping clients and 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 thinking about what the Falcons are going to do next year uh, or who they're going to draft. Um, what in your mind? What in your mind does it, when in your mind does it make sense not to be in a partnership, right? Are there other are times where you just may, you've probably had people come to you, for, come to you asking for advice and they're thinking about entering a partnership. And maybe you've just sort of done the, you know, the warning, warning, Will Robinson kind of thing and say, don't do it. What, what sort of things have you seen that are warning signs that maybe a partnership is not the right way for somebody to go?
0: Uh, for me, when I
1: came back from industry back into public accounting,
0: that was a time where I mean I could have started something right, but I realized I really needed to learn more. Like I I needed to kind of have a, a bigger baseline of a certain skill set and piece together some other things. I was still working things out. So I guess the number one thing to me was, kind of when you feel like you've stopped learning. <laughs> I think it is an okay time to start thinking about cuz I think a partnership is going out on my own and doing something new. Um when you've stopped that kind of big I mean you always keep learning but that big hurdle learning um, and you start kind of tailing out the curve it, I made partner right so um I think those are times when it's a great time
2: to think about Angie? yeah I have I have a, um I guess I have a harder time because now most of my career is, you know, majority of my career has been spent as an owner of something, right. And being a partner to someone. So I'm, I certainly, I'm personally predisposed to that, but I'll take it from a perspective of bringing another partner in, having to, have to make that choice a few times or when to encourage someone and when not to encourage someone. And, and again, I think that um, so often when you're trying to convince someone to join you as a partner, um it's it gets a little easy to talk about all the wonderful great things the profits we're going to share when we exit here's what's going to happen and you're you're kind of the boss and the leader of things and no one can tell us what to do and and when you start digging into well okay well when we get sued because basically guess what as a business guess what happens pretty much everybody's going to get sued that you know you're dealing with lawyers you're dealing with issues you have to lay people off and not to be the Debbie Downer, but it is important to speak to people who sometimes have maybe glamorized the um, "I'm a I'm a hustler. I'm going to go and start up my own thing." And I'm going to. There's a lot of people out there that say that, but really, mm-hmm. when they got to think about you, you're the person that's going to be on call to impact people's lives and the lives of their families, and that could come in terms of again disastrous things happening with a client or in the business and we're going to count on you as a business partner. That's someone you need to be helped to be accountable to say, yep, I'm willing to jump in and help with that. And that's okay. It's completely okay if someone says, you know what, I'm, I'm not really down for that. Like I want to learn and progress in my career more. I want to be a contributor, but like, I'm also not looking to have to wear some of the burdens of being a business partner. And I think it's important to be able to have someone think through that as well, too, uh, because if someone's not ready for that responsibility yet, boy, you certainly don't want to put them in there. There's other ways to engage them within your organization, as opposed to saying, great, let me get you the stock certificate. Let me get you on here. We're going to need to go ahead and get you know, some signatures on the mortgage on your house and things like that stuff, right? You got to make sure they're all on board before that that happens.
1: Guys, it's been a great conversation. I've only gotten through about half the questions I'd prepared, which I expected. So maybe we'll have you back on at some point. But um, if people want to learn more about building a successful partnership, uh, can they contact you to ask a question or two? And if so, what's the best way to do that?
0: Oh, I'm the tech CPA on Twitter. So you can reach out yes to me. Yes, you are. Yeah, the tech CPA on Twitter, or you can LinkedIn too. I'm the tech CPA.
2: Keep mine a little more simple, a little more humble than Matthew. Uh, I'm just Kenji Kuramoto on Twitter. It's a little harder to spell, probably than uh, but no, you can find us both on Twitter.
0: Cool. I just state
1: facts. <laughs> v- oh, the okay. tech that, that I mean that's it. Don't look no further.
0: Look nope. no further, folks.
1: Well, that's gonna wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Matthew May and Kenji Kuramoto so much for joining us and sharing their expertise with us. We will be exploring a new topic each week. So please tune in so that when you're faced with your next executive decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Bradyware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.